Hey there, it's Ben. This is going to be a interview episode with Adam Belting of Force Majeure Podcast. It's pretty interesting on account of you hear a bit of Adam's process on how he GMs for the Force Majeure Podcast and a bunch of other stuff because, well, it's an interview and, like, fun things happen in interviews. I do want to give a quick shout-out to our Patreon backers. You can be like them for just a dollar a month at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can help out Tales and Heroes by sharing the shows on all of your social media. Thank you, and now on to the show. So, when is Adam supposed to show up? We're starting to run out of time to get the shipment to the crew, and it's getting late. I look around the spaceport worriedly. It's never good to be late in Port Haven. I step out from the jungle, through the gaps in the energy shield to the landing pad, brushing something non-specific and icky off my shoulder. I look around, a little shiftily, catch sight of the bog wing and saunter over. Over my shoulders a reinforced leather satchel, bouncing off the blaster on my hip. Rito! I pat the satchel. I brought tea. Get kettle on. We've got negotiating to do. Making sure the turbo lasers are pointed into the air, I hit the button to lower the ramp. Adam, you made it. This is perfect. Come on before anyone sees what you've brought. Welcome to a forceful tale from the Hydean Way. We're your hosts, Ben Yendel. And Risa D. With special guest, Adam Beltane. This week we have Adam from the Force Majeure podcast. Hello there. Hello. Sorry, have I thrown you off already? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, not exactly. This is This is my general start of interviews. I'm just trying to think of how... Force Majeure and Heroes found each other. I'm really... Because I know you through doing the crossover with Heroes. And that was kind of the first time I had run into you. Ah. So why don't you give our current listeners a idea of what Force Majeure is and what brought you to... Um, okay, so um, Force Majeure is another Star Wars actual play podcast. It's a Force and Destiny podcast. It's a British one as well, as you might be able to gather from the accent, so that's our main selling point. (laughs) (laughs) So we're running alternate campaigns at the moment as well. I'm running the campaigns for Season 1 and 3, and one of my other players was running the campaign for Season 2. How I got to be running the podcast in the first place is a bit of a long-winded story, but it, it comes from finding Dice for Brains, and then by finding Redemption, and then Sil Zero, and then a number of other ones. They're like the gateway podcasts. Yeah. I had found both Tales and Heroes about that time, but I hadn't got round to starting because I was working through the backlogs of the other ones. And then I think I think we were chatting through mutuals on through Sil Zero. I think I was I got chatting to Leslie through Sil Zero. And then I started listening then I, I I was chatting yeah, I think it was Leslie and Christine through other people in the kind of Star Wars AP community on Twitter, I started listening to Heroes and was working my way through Season 1. And then I jumped into Season 2 as soon as that started so I could stay up to date with that one, with it being a second campaign. I realised that Carve really would get on well <laughs> with the character I was playing in in our Season 2 of Force Majeure, who's also um, a techie and a modder. And I got chatting to Christine through that by going, oh, imagine if our characters met what what horrific shenanigans they got up to. <laughs> and it kind of spiralled out from there, and that's where the crossover idea came from, and, and 
then I jumped on your Discord server and started causing trouble on there. And <laughs> so I think that that's how like our paths crossed in, in terms of me and, and you and the wider kind of Heidi and Way Force Majeure paths. Anyway. So what brought you to playing Star Wars? What about the Star Wars system brought you in? Well, I played the West End Games version years and years and years ago, and I missed like the the three point five. <laughs> it was great. I got up to some horrific shenanigans back then. It was it was good stuff. Um, <laughs> but I missed the Saga edition and the D twenty version, and I was playing just so much Pathfinder, so much Pathfinder, and it bored me. It, it's too crunchy. Given you've got 400,000 character options, none of them let me play the character I actually wanted to play. Binary success and fail was getting on my nerves as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, when I started listening through to Dice for Brains and then Redemption, and they showed what the narrative dice system can do, I just fell hard for it. <laughs> yeah. Then one of my friends got the Edge of the Empire beginner box for Christmas and brought it round one day uh. to play because we, we <laughs> the game we were supposed to be playing um, fell down because the GM couldn't make it. So we started playing the beginner box and I went, this is this is top notch. Took it round <laughs> to Mikey and Mim's house, who are two of the other cast members, and started talking to them about it. Got them listening to some of the podcasts and that's that's how I got back into Star Wars because. I'm much more of a fantasy person than a sci-fi, but Star Wars and, and space opera is just, it's just fantasy with lasers. I, I can deal with that. Yeah. 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 I, li- I like space <laughs> opera. So that's how I kind of got back very much into Star Wars. By then I'd seen the films, but nothing else. I'd not read the books. I'd, I'd not read the comics. I'd not seen the Clone Wars. And, and yeah. again, I just kind of got hooked and yeah, now I'm running my own show, being constantly upstaged by another one of our players, Ed, who has been following Star Wars since like it first came out and... <laughs> Yeah, he, he knows all the lore and, and he keeps going, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of this Jedi Master. And I go, cool, onto Wikipedia surreptitiously. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That, that's, yeah, it's, it's a homage to this Timothy Zahn plot. Definitely. That's, that's, <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> you know? that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So we all have the encyclopedic knowledge uh, players. Uh- <laughs> yeah. I, I have two of them. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. I mean, they're really good sometimes, just not so much when they put you on, on the spot on mic. And you're like, oh, this is getting edited out. This this is one for the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of nice if you are the editor for that. It's like, yeah. uh... Oh, oh, yeah. And, that, and we'll edit this five minutes out. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I volunteered to edit. You know, I'm, I've got to make myself look good. This is going out to the world. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that's that's how I kind of got into into Star Wars, and then how the podcast came about was it kind of flows from that. We were going to play Star Wars, and I was like, do you know why not just go whole hog and and do our own podcast? It, it's going to be good fun. <laughs> the community's really supportive. I'd been talking with Kaylee and with Ross from again from Dice for Brains and, and Redemption, mm-hmm. and asking some advice, and they were like, oh no, it's actually it's not that hard if you're prepared to put the time in. So we did, and it's, we've been going for over a year now, two seasons, an awful lot of awesome people, and yeah, it just kind of it just kind of span out from a. I think this is my midlife crisis. You know, I've <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of hit that age. We're not having kids, so I've got that disposable income because the cats are reasonably cheap. I can't drive, so it's not going to be a sports car. I'm like, oh, what, what, what can I, what can I, how, how can I make myself feel young again? I'll make people think I'm cool on the internet to the podcast. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
This explains so much about podcasting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the only excuse I've got. <laughs> I love it. And I'm consistently staggered by the fact that people listen to the show and like it. And I'm like, this is just me talking nonsense with some mates. And y'all are enjoying it. Cool. Not, not at all intimidating. <laughs> As you were saying, Adam, Force Majeure is a Force and Destiny actual play. When I'm listening to Force Majeure, it doesn't sound like the typical let's go deep into the philosophy of the Force. It almost... You seem to have a focus on keeping the characters at the fore and the situation at the fore, and the Force becomes secondary. I know in a lot of my own personal campaigns, that's hard for me. So I'm wondering, how do you do it? Well, I, I think it comes back to what I was saying about not really knowing a lot about Star Wars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, like, Ed... He's really into the philosophies of the Force, and in his season, which is season two, which follows... I should probably kind of go back for, for your listeners that haven't yet listened to Force Majeure, and you should, because we're great. <laughs> seasons one and three, which is my seasons, um, the Cold Fire Chronicles, focuses on a group of kind of Force-emergent, three criminals and one kind of resident worker who come into their power and find out that their mentor has more to it than, than they thought, and, and Inquisitor's coming for them, and it's all kind of a bit fast-paced and claustrophobic. Ed's is a bit more edge of the empire I feel. It's a bit more open. It's set on kind of a, an outer rim, kind of not quite a hook-controlled world, but that kind of feel to it. And Ed really knows his stuff about the philosophies of the Force and the different Jedi masters and the je different Jedi, uh, not, not necessarily Jedi, but the different Force philosophies. So he gets to bring a lot of that into his story, into the background, the setting, whereas I'm largely winging it. I think, I think that helps in keeping the more mystical elements out. And I see the Force and Destiny kind of way that that pathway lies out as if you're not putting your players at the forefront of the story, especially for something like an actual play podcast where you, you, you're telling that story to the world, it's easy to get sidetracked by your own thoughts and, and putting yourself almost as the star of the show. And that's, that's not my GMing style. I like to give my players an awful lot of agency. And if I have the Force as like this powerful river that they can't get away from, that takes away from their story, and, and that's not how, how I run a game. I like to keep it mostly to the background as well until they actually reach for it. So there's a number of Force Visions in Season 1, and indeed there's some more in Season 3, but each time it's because the players have reached out themselves, almost the Force, to kind of see what's going on and to get in touch and to get that inspiration. And that's when I, I get my free reign to go, okay, well, here's some hints and tips, here's some hooks for what's going on, Here's some threads about what might happen in the future. Here's some ideas about the destiny that the Force has in mind for you. But destinies can be changed if you're strong and you're willful. So that's how I kind of keep it not so much the forefront. Also, I'm, I'm chasing them down with a, with a powerful Inquisitor. They don't have time to sit there navel-gazing, because if they do, they're dead. <laughs> you know, keep the pressure on them. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Also, you said hints and, and, and tips from the Force, and all I can think of is like Clippy from, from Microsoft <sighs> Word. Like oh. with the Force version, <laughs> like that, inside of a holocron. <laughs> it, that's definitely a Sith holocron. I mean, <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to learn Power Unleashed? <laughs> you seem to be trying to burn them with your mind. Would you like to know how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, sorry, that was just the immediate vision in my brain. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I run mostly comedy stuff. 
<laughs> I apologise. Don't don't worry. That's my natural inclination. Uh, as I said, there's an awful lot that gets edited out. <laughs> it's hard to maintain tension when you're kind of creased over, chuckling away to yourself. And soon the dreaded tenth brother will come for you. <laughs> Just give me a minute. It's fine. <laughs> So how has it been coming back to an adventure and characters that have sat for a while? So coming back to season three after season two. Yeah, it's it's been a strange one because season one is quite a closed in world where they are. They're on a nice moon. I'm, I'm conscious trying to not give too many spoilers to people that haven't heard the show yet, but they're on a nice moon. It's about their attempt to get off there really before Tenth Brother comes for them. So their options are a bit more limited. I knew roughly what avenues they had to explore and I know my players so I kind of knew which buttons to push to get them to go along with that conceit coming back to it now it was about seven or seven or eight months since we wrapped on recording season one and then went back to it season three and it's a lot more open now and I've had more time to kind of get my head into the wider world because I have to be more aware about their options their options are a lot wider and where I want that to go I've now got scope to draw a lot more of their backstory in than I had previously because when you're trapped on an ice moon the amount of external kind of backstory factors you can bring into that without it seeming forced are a bit limited so now I've got more chance to kind of draw some of their backstory draw some of their history draw some of those kind of personal threads and and get them more invested into the story that way and explore some of their attitudes and thoughts and situations that they weren't really able to get in our first season's pretty short as well as, as these things go so I'm running a, a slightly more wider story. I've got more books since then. I've got the full run of Force <laughs> and Destiny, so there's a lot more information in there that I didn't have because I didn't mm. have Next of Power when I started running it, and that's got a load of really good stuff around Virgences and Force Visions and yeah. and that side of the story. Yeah. And I've got more of the other lines as well. I've got a couple of Edge of the Empire books. I've got a couple of Age of Rebellion books, and they also open up different parts of the galaxy that I wasn't quite aware of. So, like, special modifications has got a load of, <laughs> it's just a great book, but has got a load of yeah, really cool and interesting toys in there that I can bring in to throw against them. No disintegrations has given me some good ideas if I want to draw any bounty hunters into there. Enter the Unknown's given me some more ideas about running on, on the fringes of the Empire. Sons of Fortune's got some great stuff in there as well about Corellia and that kind of heavy industry in case I want to draw them back more midworld. I've, I've got a much better grasp on my options almost coming back to them. And, and when I went back to start recording season three, I went back and re-listened to season one completely with, with a fresh set of ears. When I'm, I don't know about you two, but when I'm editing, <laughs> it then takes me a while to go back and listen to the episode because I'm too close to it when I'm editing. I can't really focus on, mm-hmm. on what was going on on the story because I'm focusing on making sure it sounds good for, for the audience. Absolutely. And even when I go back to listen to it the first time round, what I'm mostly listening for is to make sure I've not dropped any, any clangers in there. <laughs> you know, that, that I need to, to go back and quickly edit out and, um, the rest of the cast do quality assure it for me. They do listen to it and go, yeah, this is fine to go out. But even then, I'm listening to it with a critical ear rather than listening to it to enjoy the story. So when I went back for season three, I was able to, li- I-, I listened to it from outside so I could get my ideas about what's going to remind myself and what happened. And that reminded me a load of other stuff I wanted to do with the story that I hadn't been able to, that I can now try and mm. tease around the edges as well. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a strange thing. I, I, I kind of recommend it. Because that little that little <laughs> bit of stepping back helps you get a lot of perspective on the the bigger story you're trying to tell. For me, anyway. Sounds like good advice. <laughs> I have found the same thing with going back and listening to Heroes. I 
don't quite have the same closeness because Christine is one editing it, but... And she does good work. Oof. Yeah. She does pretty amazing work, yeah. Going back and listening to how IGM has been very edifying. Mm. Even though I'm running off of a published adventure, which that's weird enough on its own, but learning the ways that I GM and how I can change that, trying out new things. You're also really, really good at letting the players take that center stage from from list because obviously I'm now listening to it as as a listener rather than, than being right there. And you're really good at letting them hang themselves. Almost, you know, you present the situation, <laughs> but you're a really impartial GM, and I find that sometimes hard. I think you've possibly got the benefit with it not being your story. <laughs> you've not got that kind of oh my baby, what are they doing to my baby? Why is this a four episode shopping montage? <laughs> but you're really good at just putting the players out there, giving them the situation, reacting to it, and not stealing that limelight from them. And it, yeah, it's it's gripping. It's really good. Well, thank you. <laughs> Have I made you blush? I'm, I'm sorry, dude. You know? like, from what I've learned, to, that is entirely learned by going back and listening to how things were. Because like recent, I've recently been talking about how to prepare scenes and how to get players to move in kind of expected fashions. <laughs> Most of that stuff that I've been learning how to do it better has been coming from listening to heroes and finding out how do I get these really excitable people to <laughs> go in a direction that I'm kind of wanting them to go. It's yeah. like a bunch of puppies. Yeah. Your current cast is a bunch of puppies. You just gotta kind of <laughs> throw the bone in the right direction. Well, it's such a different thing than the herd of cats from this first season. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh dear. They're both very fair observations. But it's nice to so, listen yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I suppose, yeah. It's you... just really funny because my GM just ran Trouble Brewing for me and a friend. <laughs> and we did it in less than three hours. Yeah. I so we we finished it in less than three hours, and then my GM's like, "Okay, now let's listen to because he didn't want to spoil himself on Heroes. So now we're actually listening through Heroes season two, and he's sitting there going, "What? This is this is like a paragraph. They are spending a very long time on this paragraph." And I was like, "You know." but Ben threw the bone, so now they're going after it. <laughs> oh, that sums up Freebo. That just entirely yes. sums up Freebo Gango. Yeah. Exactly. There is a short paragraph on Freebo. Freebo <laughs> has turned into a recurring character. A pet, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I, I love that, though. I love that they've just adopted this random NPC. They're like, you, you are adorable and now mine. Come to live with me on my ship, little precious boy. Little precious Rodian. <laughs> Fly us around oh. and eat our cake. I love it. It's great. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for everyone to hear the point where Vrebo is trying to do their best impression of a Bond villain with 3B. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, this can carve. I expect you to die. <laughs> 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 is is that what happens to Voren? <laughs> <laughs> the 
the knowledge of what happens to Vern should be coming out in like two, three weeks from what when when we record. Yeah, because I mean we record a bit ahead, but you record months and months in advance, don't you? This is accidental. <laughs> yeah, you're too Purely efficient, accidental. <laughs> well, we don't miss we don't miss weeks, and also I have an addiction to cues. Yeah, you know it's better than the other other way around. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we tend to record once a month or so, but get four episodes in, or three or four sessions in at that time. It's a bit of a strange one. You'd think we'd be able to play more frequently, given that we all live reasonably close and are not having to deal with nine separate time zones across an entire continent. But no, we're just a bit rubbish. Believe it or not, because we're dealing with so many time zones, it's becoming really easy to set time. Because in like a two-week period, there is exactly one time period where we can get enough. And then that just gets blocked out for everything. It's like, can we do something then? Anyone else? Nope. Because four different time zones? It was really interesting when we had people on two different coasts. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, okay, this is blocked out. Never shall it change. <laughs> this entire day is blocked out. And then recording two episodes at once. That just makes it... <laughs> Coming back to Force Majeure, <laughs> currently Heroes is going through Mask of the Pirate Queen, which mm. that's going to be its own weird and wacky adventure. Oh, so wacky. <laughs> the one that's coming up after that, and that I'm, I know that we're probably not even going to start recording it until the end of the year, but I'm still looking for as much advice as possible on it. And with Force Majeure and, well, in the season one, three Cold Fire Chronicles, but also in season two there it's characters coming into their powers in the dark times like it's the force and destiny idea my question is in listening to the cold fire chronicles it's done pretty well i'm kind of wondering if you have any advice for our listeners about how to have characters grow into their powers i think it's important that they should never feel blasé about it because i I think with Force and Destiny and Force Powers in general, it's really easy to see your character as like a superhero. Oh, and as well as doing this, and I've got my lightsaber, and I can throw things around with my brain. <laughs> and it's it's too easy to turn it from focusing on that kind of almost like a coming-of-age story into we are superheroes. So I kind of look at it like, imagine you're running X-Men First Class rather than <laughs> X-Men Last Stand. They've got these powers. They don't know how to use them properly. Because they're only going to have one force die, they're never going to be able to pull off at the start any of these really big flashy effects. There's always going to be that temptation that they're going to have to start using dark side points just because the odds are against them getting light side points with only one force die. And if they start being too flashy and too blasé about it, especially starting characters, the Empire will find them and will send someone to take them out. And I think that, for me, keeping that kind of sense of threat uh, and almost that need for secrecy was a big part in them developing their powers organically, keeping it more grounded than just, hey, so this morning I woke up and I could leap tall buildings in a single bound and juggle Star Destroyers. Well, yeah, but that's not an interesting story. Unless, of course, that is the story you're particularly wanting to tell, in which case, cool, good for you, but that's not. I think certainly at lower levels, Force and Destiny, and Chronicles of the Gatekeeper is fairly similar. You've got to build up to that slow burn as they realise the consequences of what they can do, as they realise the parameters, as they push themselves to get stronger. I also like to hammer home the consequences of what can happen, especially if they do start throwing around dark side points to do stuff. 
there is a point in season one where one of the characters uses a a force power on another person that's not particularly posing a threat to them. And they spent dark side points on it as well because their urgency overrode their desire to be nice. And I've been pushing that, that conflict button with them because it made them act out of their character in that desperation. And one of the heartstones of the Force and Destiny system is that morality, that conflict. And I think it's important that let them do it if they want to, but push those consequences. Make them think about what they're doing. Make them respect the power they've got. It's not like a Clone Wars era game where the Jedi on every street corner and, you know, they're, they're seen as the, the glorious champions. Nowadays, in, in certainly the, the, the present timeline, it's almost a dirty thing to have Force powers. You're a plague bearer. You're walking around with a bell around your neck and a big red X marked on your back that might just well turn into a big red bullseye if a gilded bounty hunter hears about it and wants to make some quick books from the ISB, if an Inquisitor hears about it. Yeah, so that's how I kind of try and keep it grounded. And, and I think it's still important as well that the Force should throw them a bone because the Force is balanced. For every threat they're having to face because they've got their abilities... The Force will see them through it if they have faith. So it's throwing those little bones, those, pre- those premonitions, those visions, if they're brave enough to reach out and seek them. That keeping them just one step ahead, because the Force has a plan, as long as you're prepared to walk that path. It's, it's a really hard balance to strike. I'll be honest, the reason why I originally started running Force and Destiny, as opposed to Edge of the Empire or Age of Rebellion, which are a lot more... Certainly Edge of the Empire is a lot more my preferred style of GMing. You know, the ragtag group of heroes on the fringes of society, thumbing their nose at the law. It's because I originally was going into it going, well, you can do everything an Edge character can do in Force and Destiny, plus you're a space wizard. So, hey, here's his cool powers. (laughs) You know, why wouldn't you play a space wizard when you can do exactly the same stuff? And it was only once I'd kind of got that original idea and then started writing the Coalfire Chronicles and doing a bit more digging into it that kind of it hit me, no, there's just a lot more to it than just being space wizards. There's a lot more to it that you can pry and poke and push. And it helps that I've known Mikey for coming up 20 years now. I've known Mim a fair old while. I've known Ed for a very long time, though I've never gamed with him before. So Ross was only the, the, the only real brand new player to the table. So I already knew a couple of the buttons that I could push and I know what Mikey likes from a story. I know what Mim likes from a story. I know what Ed liked from a story. So I could factor those into how I was building the game as well. So I've gone completely off topic here, haven't I? Nah, you're good. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I'm, I'm trying to keep it a bit more real. One of the things I'm kind of now very interested in is how far ahead do you prepare? Um, One session, two sessions, the entire thing? What, what I tend to do is I write a really solid starting point for each of my games. I get a rough idea of how I want it to end, and I get a rough idea of some of the things they're going to encounter on the way. Certainly for season one, with it being a lot more self-contained, that was quite easy for me to do. There was a whole a whole plot, storyline, and section that they didn't get involved in because they chose not to go into in, back into the prison camp. I had a load of stuff in there, so that's on the back burner for being pillaged for later games. With season two, I've broken it down into three kind of sections because I still want... With it being a lot more sandboxy season two, they've got, spoilers, they've got a ship now, so they've got a lot more freedom for where they can go. They can choose just to completely ignore my plot and go off piste, and if they want to do that, then that's fine. There will be consequences, but that's fine. 
<laughs> so I, I can't plan too far ahead. And also, Mikey and Mim are absolute terrible for going off paste if I give them free reign to do it. So I've always got to factor in that, oh God, what are they going to do now? It's a four episode shopping montage. <laughs> so yeah, so I've kind of broken it roughly into three arcs. I've kind of got a rough, this is where I want this arc to start and this is where I roughly want this arc to finish so that it can then set up the next arc to start and the next arc to finish. But how they actually get from where I start them to where I would like them to finish, I I don't really plan. I just have maybe a few bullet points, a couple of NPCs. There's a load of ideas I've got for things that can happen based on their backstories. But whether or not I'll be able to bring any of them in depends entirely on what they do. So like Ed's family um, is from Canto Bight and has an amount of influence in Canto Bight. If they never go anywhere near that side of the galaxy, then okay, how do I bring that in if I still want to bring it in? Or do I want to put that on the back burner in case they go over that side later on in the story? I suppose not an awful lot of, of planning in advance. I kind of get a rough idea for the arc and then I wing it from session to session. <laughs> but that that's that's how I've I've learned to GM generally I've been doing it for for a while and I used to be really tightly plotted especially if you're running games like Mathfinder where you have to balance your challenge ratings and work out your exact treasure allocations or players will complain and uh, no just <laughs> let me wing it to tell a fun story I've got my adversary deck I've got Wikipedia and I've got the ability to hit pause that's all I need that'll do me for a while. <laughs> So what? Okay, let's let's. What about you then? When you're not running like the pre-written games, what about yourself? Are you a a, a plot out every little twist and pathway because because you don't want to be caught off guard, or do you prefer to to all-purpose plan B, make it up as you go along, and don't let them see you panic? I apparently have a decent poker face. <laughs> That's like the, the the best weapon in the DM's toolkit. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm doing this over Discord, so I oh, yeah, can be helps. sweating, and they don't know. Yeah, that, that, that helps. My prep seems to echo a lot of what you're doing for prep. Yes, inside the actual session, I'm kind of sort of winging it, but okay, for my Thursday night game, which is my primary winging group, the next thing is they're in a casino where their hut just really got told off by their uncle that because of their own selfishness, the entire hut clan is now on the outs in hut space and there's a deal that black sun has given them to get back a piece of like a talisman that has special meaning to one of the players that may or may not double cross him or triple cross or who knows there'll be crosses <laughs> i'd expect no less but in doing so my actual prep is much more along the lines of for the five or six characters that the players have i've got several bullet points that I'll try and steer towards. Since it's an edge campaign, it'll be a bunch of bullet points about their obligation or what they've done since we started. Mm. Where the Kuzo menace keeps on coming up. Where uh, obligation that just got rolled three times in a row then became a major story point. Nice. It went from obligation to story point to running joke to now it's just something I bring up everywhere. See, I, I like that with the obligation mechanic as well. It's got some nice little baked-in story hints, hasn't it, that you can just drag in as needed to, to complicate things. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's fun until you're the player whose obligation keeps getting <laughs> rolled session after session and no one else's is getting rolled and you're just like... <sighs> Give me my strength threshold. I need that for stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just say I had a Twi'lek who just kept getting grit because her obligation was getting rolled every single session. Uh, at least the reduction's not supposed to be cumulative. That's very true. She just, she could not catch a break. <laughs> and then with heroes, because I'm... Rolling the way I am. Apparently on crits I roll low and on an application I roll high. It's horrible for me. <laughs> on the other hand, if I was rolling for crits the way I am for obligations... They'd be dead by now. Well, maybe. Depending on how much vicious. They'd definitely have fewer limbs. <laughs> well, that, that's that's obligatory for Star Wars. I'm, I'm definitely surprised you've not maimed at least one person by now. You need to try harder. Yeah? Blinded <laughs> anyone, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm a really soft GM. I know it. I know I am. I'm far too nice. That's going to be changing, I think. <laughs> I'm lulling them into a false sense of security, and then when they're all nice and complacent, I'm just going to hit them, and I'm going to keep on hitting them till they cry. <sighs> and then I'll, then I'll let them recover for a little bit longer. And... Oh, dear. That actually swings us into... Okay, this is kind of a spoiler for season one of Force Majeure, but... So, spoilers, guys. Come back in a couple minutes. <laughs> or listen and get something that's completely out of context. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You have no idea how it's going to be used, so you'll still be surprised. And maybe it will entice you to listen to the show as well. You'll be like, ooh, this is intriguing. Where, what, what's the context for this? I shall have to binge them. Exactly, until I get to the point, and then I'll know. Okay. So in season one, you use Order 66 for a character in there and yeah, i should have been so much meaner it kind of should have but it's also i could almost just hear the players go what i'm wondering how was it at the table and at since you are thinking that it should have been meaner how would you do that again following that order being given that immediate reveal though i think you can just about hear mim go oh no and she was <laughs> She was the only one who could speak. The rest of them just stared at me and went pale-faced. <laughs> then they swore a lot, which got cut out. <laughs> oh, which was exactly what I was hoping for. In the final episode, when that starts getting resolved, I definitely should have gut-shot at least one of the players when they when they closed in. That was my, my regret. I should have been a lot nastier with the consequences of that in that immediate kind of follow-up. They were all, they were just so reeling from it happening, it, it felt bad. You know, I didn't want to just grind the, and also, because I didn't expect that character to survive. And because they've ha they have, I've had to write an awful lot more stuff for them, a lot more backstory. And um, it's really framed how season three starts. That is a really big part of the start of season three and getting that arc launched actually the players have, have really embraced that character's backstory and that character's future i suppose <laughs> while i am a bit gutted i didn't hurt them a bit more with it i think it's actually shaken out better because the emotional damage that that's <laughs> caused them is so much more satisfying than just a little bit of wounds that can be can be healed up by a half competent medic if you see what i mean <laughs> the emotional trauma 
Yeah, the ripples that are coming out from that now are far, far tastier. <laughs> I, I'm not normally one for the kind of the big feels, punch them in the heart, but it's just worked out so well. And yeah, it's it's nice to run that kind of story for once because it's not my usual my usual. I, I'm quite wacky for the most part. I'm a whimsical, <laughs> surreal, easily motivated to digress GM. I run stuff that makes me laugh because the world is terrible. So um, I tend to stay away from from the the kind of the, the more emotional, yeah. So it's working kind of well, and it's new territory for me. And my players, because they know the kind of games I tend to run, did not see it coming at all, which just made it so much more beautiful. Yeah, I should have been I should have been a little bit a little bit harsher um, with that one. I know that's always how I feel afterwards in situations where I'm always like, I was way too nice. I should have been so much meaner. But in the in the moment, it's always like ah, I can't. <laughs> we're too we're too good for it. That's the problem. We're too kind. We're too nice. It is definitely a theory. <laughs> <laughs> Not one that my players would ascribe to. But see, that's kind of where I'm coming at with most of this. <laughs> is no player I know of would actually say, "No, my GM is way too nice to us." Well, I can think of one player who would say I'm too nice. But he lives with me, so he has to. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know. I think for me, I, I grew up playing a lot of second ed D&D. That's mm. when I first, first and second, that's when I first cut my teeth. Uh, and then I started running Cyberpunk. And they're such oppositional games, almost, where yes, as a GM, you bragged really on how are. many player kills you had. And that always sat badly with me. Because I always thought yeah. that if you killed a player, you're ending that, that story. It's far more interesting to maim them and let them have to come to terms with that. As part of- <laughs> so, <laughs> death's too easy. <laughs> what game would you like to run in Star Wars or Genesis that you haven't been able to run yet? Like, what is your dream game to run? Well, I'm writing one at the moment that I'm hoping to run with my home game that I I've, I've keep hitting the brakes on a little bit just because of, of circumstances coming out. And it's a Genesis game that is really heavily inspired by like the ancient Greek classical myths. Ooh. Yeah, because I've always been quite into that and I've gotten more back into it recently. And I, I love that. like the And also like the Hellenistic, the kind of post-Alexander the Great where that mm. empire's falling apart and, and it's warring city-states and and an army, a terrifying army of warriors is about 50 people because you just don't have the bodies to throw thousands. The fantasy armies in epic fantasies where you're throwing like tens of thousands of people against each other. I'm like, ah, but no, I, I can't. It breaks my suspension of disbelief to think that there's that many fully trained soldiers in this agrarian society. Whereas in ancient Greece in that era, yeah, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 people that was a force to be reckoned with. That's why the Persians were so damn scary. Because they had just waves, waves, an endless tide of bodies because they were so big. And then you had these few heroes. Not necessarily the Spartans being heroes because, you know, <clears throat> they just had very good PR. But like the Boeotians, <laughs> the Thebans, the Athenians, and that really strong sense of civic pride that went, you know, you defined yourself by your city. And you were favoured of the gods, and the gods walked among you, and and interacted, and the gods were just human, well, just people writ large, and you had fauns, and satyrs, and minotaurs, and all that, just that wonderful kind of blending of stuff. So that's kind of where I've started it. 
and I've brought in some ideas from... I haven't listened to God's Fall podcast. Uh, I really want to, but the episodes are just too long for my commutes. And there's, they also have an intimidatingly large backlog. But the ideas behind mm-hmm. that, the kind of the fall of the gods and humans being chosen to kind of step forward and take up those mantles, that's something else I really like. That ordinary person having power thrust. I suppose that's why I like Force and Destiny. Ordinary people <laughs> having that power thrust upon them. And it's, what do you do with that? Where does it take you? Do you, do you become a tyrant? Um, like the Forgotten Realms Times of Trouble stories. That trilogy was quite formative on how I, I, I like to tell stories. So it's a world blending all of those kind of concepts together. But what I'm also doing is I've created like six of the pantheon of X number of deities. And I've created five or six of the provinces. And the rest is to the players. So I've given them a questionnaire and going, right, which god do you identify with most? Oh, sorry. No, which god has <laughs> in- impacted upon you the most? Can be good or bad? And why? Where are you from? Tell me about the city you come from. Tell me about the area you live. What are your politics? And I'm letting them write their own corner of the world. Because with something like the Boeotian League and, and Ancient Greece, it was these little tiny clusters in a patchwork quilt that was the country. So I'm letting them stitch their own patches. Because um, I think that, that, that putting that kind of creativity in the hands of the players, that world building, immediately invest them in a story far more than you go, well, um, this is my world, and here is my pantheon of 12 gods from which you cannot deviate, and you are from one of these four cities, and you're all playing half-elves. <laughs> ah, I want to play an orc, or a tabaxi, or a tiefling. We all just want to be tieflings. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, letting them kind of build their own corner of the world will invest them straight away and also takes a load of the heavy lifting off me. It's one less province I have to write that they could walk through. <laughs> yeah. So that's the one that I'm kind of, I'm currently working on for, for Genesis. I, I intend to, as it goes on, to blog about it because I don't blog and I should do. I have a blog. I don't use it. I said it with the best of intentions. But I, <laughs> I've taken so much ideas and hints and tips from other people's kind of world building. It only seems fair that if someone can benefit from mine, then I should put that out there. It's, it's repaying that. It's passing it forward, which I'm quite big on when I can be. So that's that's my next big project. That sounds awesome. Really but does. maybe that's just because I was an ancient Greece nerd as a kid. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can get it over there. Stephen Fry has written a book called Mythos, which is all about the ancient Greek kind of histories and myths and legends, kind of a bit retold. And uh, I got that for Christmas from my wife, who knows me very, very well. Um, and that's top of my reading list as soon as I've finished the trilogy. I'm currently on the Alex Marshall's Crown for Cold Silver trilogy. But then I'm going to, yeah, sink my teeth deep into some classical mythos, classical Greek legends, let it percolate. But that might be one that, if, if you're still into that sort of stuff, I've heard it's fantastic. I will let you know. I'll drop you a, te- a tweet when I finish reading it. and be all like, it's welcome. Check it out. Hearing the throb of an Imperial engine overhead. Hey, Adam, Risa, do you think Port Haven could use a new reef? This thing seems to be blocking our exit. A few good shots and they'll settle in just nice. Mm, well, that's one way of doing it, but I can think of another less obtrusive one. I'll pop off and make a holocom call to one of my contacts. See if we can't find them something uh, a bit more urgent to take care of somewhere else far from here. I pick up my hat, swing the now-empty satchel over my shoulder and step down the gangway. Pleasure doing business with you. Well, 
at least he left the goods. Watching as the large ship above us pulls away, I breathe a sigh of relief. The goods and he got the heat off us? We definitely need to do business with him again. Join us next time on A Cracking Tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter, at the Hydean Way, and I can be found at Cookie Kit. And I'm at Deuterium Ice. And I'm at Madame Beltane, with the double D. And the Force Majeure podcast can be found at Force Majeure Pod on Twitter. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating and reviewing us. Drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway.